open source is not a goal, right? Open source is means to achieve something. My view is that if you build any infrastructure level projects, if it's not open source these days, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. I'm joined today by Maxime Fativ, one of the co-creators of both the Cadence project out of Uber and Temporal project. Maxime, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Maybe you could tell us first what Cadence and Temporal are, and then we can go back to how they came to be. So Cadence and Temporal are both open source projects, and uh, which we have started and uh, still run by me and my co-founder, Samar. We started Cadence uh, around four years ago at Uber. And in October last year, we quit Uber and started our own company called Temporal Technologies. And Temporal is a fork of Cadence, which uh, our company is moving forward and uh, productizing. Got it. So four years, very good. And maybe you could take us back four years ago to when Cadence first came to be. What inspired the project? I would say four years wouldn't be enough. Reality is that we probably need to go like 18 years ago. Yeah, this is the life's work. <laughs> I joined Amazon in 2002, and I was uh, part of the so-called Splat team, software platform team. And that was well before AWS existed. And our team was responsible for a lot of things in the platform, but a couple of them were asynchronous messaging, workflows, and frameworks. And so I had a lot of exposure to asynchronous communication. And later I became team lead for the whole asynchronous platform Amazon ran on. And it was like well before Kafka even was conceived. This technology is still used as a backend for the simple queue service. And I had a lot of exposure to a lot of asynchronous use cases. And back then, think about it, Amazon was practically the first who started the whole microservice-oriented architecture. And we were hitting a lot of problems which a lot of companies just started to face right now. Mm-hmm. And so practically a lot of uh, microservice orchestration and microservice communication was done asynchronously. And initially we had homegrown engine, which was based on PetriNets, and it ran on top of Oracle. And later we realized that we needed orchestration because just asynchronous messaging for queues wasn't enough. And it wasn't the best model for complex uh, service orchestrations. So we started a project which later became Simple Workflow Service, which is publicly available AWS service. And back then, when we started doing simple workflow, our idea was to redefine how distributed applications, reliable applications are written. I think we made a lot of progress, but we certainly didn't nail it because probably you've never heard about simple workflow before (laughs) I just mentioned it. But uh, we kept learning and we did a few things. My co-founder Samar, after he left Amazon, went to Microsoft and built their durable task framework. And later, that framework was adopted as a durable by Azure functions. So if you ever heard about Azure durable functions, they kind of use the same approach we started in the simple workflow. And so at Uber, when we faced a workflow problem, we kind of said, okay, we kind of know, know a lot about workflows, why we just don't use the same ideas that we actually used at Amazon while building simple workflow, but we also understood that it had a lot of limitations and uh, gotchas. So we kind of improved on that, iterated a lot, and now we've got Cadence workflow, which was actually pretty successful inside of Uber. 
hundreds of teams were using it when we left Uber. So it grew a lot organically. It was started as an open source project right from the beginning. Uh, we've got pretty decent adoption. And then we kind of decided to form the company. So uh, to go to the, like uh, how we started at Uber, it's uh, interesting because at Uber, our first project wasn't actually Cadence. It was Sheremy. Sheremy was an open source messaging system. We wanted to replace Kafka at Uber because Kafka back then wasn't very stable. It was like more than four years ago. And uh, we actually wrote, and it's still out there, open source project. And uh, it was successful inside of Uber. So like dozens of teams were using it in production. But later, uh, management decided that financing something which has uh, open source technology as Kafka didn't make sense. So the project was kind of shut down. But Cadence grew out of that. Got it. And maybe you could tell us briefly about the use case for these asynchronous messages. I imagine these are services or microservices creating tasks for other services or microservices to accomplish. Is that part of it? That is certainly part of it. Uh, the thing is that there is no very specific use case. And this is something we are kind of struggling because everybody says you should focus on something. Right. And the thing is that we are kind of a platform to write distributed applications. Got it. I, when you need reliability. Obviously, if you don't care about losing data or you don't care about uh, kind of race conditions or whatever, you don't need us. But every time you need some reliability, you need to make sure that uh, your business transaction finishes, it's applicable. And there are a lot of different scenarios. So like it can be as simple as, uh, I don't know, payments, practically transferring money from one account to another. And again, it can be done from just making the local calls, but it's also obviously in these days mostly involves multiple services. So service orchestration is obviously one huge use case. But you absolutely can do everything. You can do desktop applications using this platform. So the way people write in Microsoft, like desktop applications, which uh, had uh, practically all our service embedded in a single machine, because uh, it's still very applicable. So you can do monoliths, you can do microservices, you can do everything. And uh, from use case point of view, it's all over the place. It can be uh, data pipelines, it can be ML pipelines, it can be business processes, it can be subscriptions, uh, deployments. For example, HashiCorp uses Cadence to orchestrate their cloud deployments. Practically, their new, new cloud platform is based on top of that. And uh, at Uber, there are a lot of uh, deployment infrastructure based off that. But uh, there are also business processes. For example, uh, tipping Uber driver, when you press a tip button, it will start a workflow, for example. Okay, so let's uh, nail the history real quick. So you had developed the simple workflow service at Amazon. You came to Uber. They had an existing project that you continue to iterate on before that was either kind of closed or shut down. Or either way, you started a new project, Cadence. Maybe any comments on the kind of first commit or the first days at Cadence. With your experience, you probably knew exactly what you wanted to build. You mentioned you had done this before and you knew of some improvements you already wanted to make. Was the plan to be kind of open from the beginning? How well planned out was Cadence from the outset? So first thing was that we actually spent almost half a year trying to open source the previous project because it wasn't written as open source from the beginning. And we found very hard way that it's very hard to open source later because all sorts of dependencies will creep in. And we, on purpose, practically started Cadence 
from the beginning as an open source project. Almost all check-ins, uh, besides maybe a few initial lines of code, we started to do them in the open GitHub repo. So you can go there and see the history of how it was developed. I think this was the kind of major decision to do it as open source project from the beginning. It also meant that all internal Uber dependencies, we had to factor the code in a way that we would kind of able to use internal Uber systems, but not have them in the open source repo. And we didn't want to fork projects, so it was actually written in a way that was extensible to support all those requirements. From the implementation point of view, it's, uh, I remember that Samar practically just said, we need this and we know how to build this uh, workflow system. And initially it was just targeted our internal project, Jeremy. And we said, okay, we know how to do that. Let's do it. And initially I actually wanted to redesign it completely because I had all sorts of ideas how to make it better than original simple workflow ideas. But we understood that we would never do it because it would take a long time to redesign. And then kind of, we didn't have financing. We never had like a management coming to us and say, implement this. It was kind of our own project. So we kind of decided to uh, stick to the same ideas. We didn't do like major redesign. Obviously, implementation is completely different. API was kind of similar, but still different. So it wasn't like repetition. But at least high-level ideas were the same. And then we implemented that. And after it actually was practically ready, then we started to iterate with various improvements. And the biggest difference, obviously, that first SDK, which we implemented, was Go. And at Amazon, we didn't have, Go didn't exist back then when we started the project 10 years ago. And you've got cadence in the work. You don't really have management buy-in, but you've got this the early start to this project. How do you move from kind of a skunkworts project to a real project? I think a couple of things. We practically went completely bottoms up. We found first customers. We practically went around Uber, evangelized the technology. It was kind of like open source, the same thing, but in, inside of a single company initially. We went uh, internally, we evangelized that. We found use cases where it was very well applicable and application developers liked it. They tried it. And then uh, one thing which we found about uh, later is that we've never seen a single team stop using us. After they start using our technology, they really keep using that and keep adding use cases. It uh, never was that they tried it and just said, no, we are not going to use it. So it's very, very sticky. And are these teams coming from other Uber projects? Was there a bit of competition? Or are most of them just coming from other random open source projects and, and they're excited to work with somebody internal? Internally, it was uh, just uh, internal teams because we are not uh, competing with any existing projects practically. Because think about it. We are trying to solve problem of writing distributed asynchronous applications. And reality is that if you give uh, this problem to almost any developer these days, he will write something custom, right? It will use Kafka or some other queue, RabbitMQ. It will use databases, maybe some timer services. But there is no solution which solves these problems for in general case. Reality is that that's why we don't have like direct competition. We are competing with ad hoc solutions. And Uber obviously had hundreds and hundreds of those ad hoc solutions. And we practically came to the developers and said, why are you re reinventing the wheel? Why are you doing it the hard way? Just uh, use our technology and you can just focus on your business logic and we will take care of the hard distributed system stuff. So it was actually a relatively easy sell. But uh, obviously, it takes some time to understand the value of the technology. But that's why we usually start small from some basic things, like, I don't know, distributed cron job, for example. And then after you get familiar with the technology, almost everything starts looking as a workflow to you. Right. And I imagine you have to catch teams either at like a refactoring stage or at the outset of the project. It's maybe hard to find matured projects and have them switch. Actually, it's not 100% true. Obviously, it took some time for most mature projects to switch. 
But reality is that it's not like all or nothing. It's not that you need to go and migrate all your application to start using it. As I said, you can just go and switch single cron job like distributed cron or you can switch just one part of your system and then you can uh, go and uh, redesign the whole like the pattern we see inside of uber and and in the open source that a lot of companies just uh, try small they just implement one small use case which is not mission critical and then they understand the technology and that some companies actually 100% redesign their architecture around it so practically you can think uh, about uh, cadence and temporal in a way as a service mesh for asynchronous application it kind of similar to this uh, service bus idea, but it's a completely different technology and completely different implementation. And the thing is that there are companies which practically switched all their services, practically becoming activities and workflows, and they don't need any service existing service meshes because those don't work very well with short-lived operations and long retries. In our system, it's very easy to say, okay, I want to retry this operation for five weeks, right, every minute if something goes down. Or I want this operation take five months, or this workflow can run for a year or live forever. And these things are practically like normal uh, service architecture don't help you with that at all. Now, take us to Cadence's kind of open source launch. How do you get from where you are now or where you are then to taking Cadence to public? So it's interesting. Uh, we started this open source project, but obviously first half a year or year, we've got very few people looking at us. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It, it, obviously, if somebody starting an open source project, don't get uh, discouraged because I think uh, like almost first two years we've got very few users. What happened is that with time they started to appear, and it was interesting. We didn't get a lot of users, but we've got extremely sophisticated users. We've got people like HashiCorp, Banzai Cloud guys. We've got other companies which I unfortunately cannot name publicly yet because we are working with them to have case studies released. But the thing is that we've got these top-tier companies with very strong engineers which looked at various options and found our technology and decided that it's better to use it instead of building their own. And these companies were able to build their own, absolutely. Like everybody understands that HashiCorp can build whatever they want if they put enough effort into that. But they decided that they'd rather focus on their business logic, on their core strengths and to just use technology we provide. And then uh, it started to grow, 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 grow. And practically last May 2019, we ended up in the top uh, posts in Hacker News. And then since then, it was just uh, very wild ride uh, because we've, we've got uh, a bunch of uh, new people looking into us. We've got a lot of new adoption. Then obviously venture capitalists uh, noticed that. So they came to us and started to talk about starting our own company, which uh, before that actually wasn't really kind of our goal. So it's certainly uh, this new combinator was was a big thing for us. But uh, before that, we've got some usage, but it wasn't like uh, growing exponentially. I think right now it's growing pretty fast. And I, I missed a part I wanted to ask you about before that, how you met Samar. So you mentioned that he was doing you know work similar to you when he was at Azure, but you were at AWS. And you both ended up independently at Uber. Is that right? Oh, it's actually an interesting story. Uh, Samar worked at Microsoft for a long time. He uh, worked in uh, mostly developer tools, SQL Server, and other places. And then at some point, he decided to join AWS. He wanted to try cloud, and Azure wasn't a big thing back then, 10 years ago. And he ended up joining Simple Workflow team, and I was tech lead of the team. So we worked together on releasing the Simple Workflow. 
And then later, uh, we kind of ended up uh, quitting uh, the Amazon for sort of non-technical reasons. And uh, he ended up back in Azure. He was tech lead for the Azure service bus and then created the durable task framework there. And then by coincidence, absolutely, I actually ended up at Google for three years. And then uh, by coincidence, we joined Uber at the same time, practically, like within two weeks and started to work on the same project. Interesting. Were you assigned together or did you kind of find each other? We just uh, found each other at Uber. We didn't talk once in the middle, like since we left AWS. It's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, since then, we built these two projects together. And obviously, I'm super lucky to have him as a co-founder. We have very complementary skills. Great. So you wrote the Hacker News burst of visibility to get a lot of adoption around the Cadence project. And then some VCs helped you consider starting Temporal. Maybe you can talk to us about Temporal, the decision to start a new company, project, and, and the fork and all that. Yeah, so... Our plan was uh, maybe one day we do something about it as a company, but it was very, very abstract. I've never spent any time researching uh, startups. I barely knew about any VCs. I don't think I've heard about Andreessen Horowitz until I actually started my company. So uh, I just absolutely uneducated about this. But one thing which uh, VCs told us, which I think, uh, no, they didn't tell us, but we kind of understood, but they can emphasize that, it was practically impossible to really focus on external community staying inside of Uber. And not because Uber is bad or something, because Uber is a company, they have their own priorities and they needed cadence. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, mission critical applications inside of Uber running on top of cadence. So obviously they couldn't give us unlimited resources. So without limited resources, all those resources were 100% consumed by internal adoption. And we wanted to, we believe this technology can actually change not only one company, but practically how software is developed across all companies. And that vision just couldn't be realized staying inside of any company. I don't think it's about Uber, I think any company. And the ability to start our own company, which focuses only on this technology, and uh, we can uh, care only about external users of the technology, I think that was uh, something which we believed uh, was the right thing to do. And uh, that was the main reason we decided to actually uh, quit our pretty well-paid jobs at uh, Uber and uh, go and start our own company. Because we believe that uh, we wanted external community to be successful and we wanted this project to go and like realize its full potential. And I think without uh, having a large team around that and enough funding, it's not really possible. And I suppose the Temporal Project is in many ways just an extension of the Cadence Project in terms of vision and aspiration. So I imagine it kind of feels like it's more of the same. You just kind of keep going. It is the same in the sense that it's just a continuation of that. There are all sorts of legal and practical reasons why we couldn't continue developing Cadence itself. And uh, once we made a decision to fork, we looked what actually, what features our user community required and asked for. And the most important feature was gRPC because Cadence uses a T-channel, which is a custom request reply protocol written by Uber. And there are like historical reasons why it was used. But the thing is that it was practically deprecated at Uber at the time already. And it has all sorts of limitations. Most basic one, it doesn't support uh, security. You cannot even do uh, SSL over it. So uh, we switched to gRPC 
which ended up being actually much bigger undertaking, which we fought, and protobuffs. And then we also, as uh, we ran this production for four years in uh, a tuber without making single backwards incompatible change, we accumulated quite um, enough features which I wanted to do and improvements which weren't possible or would be very, very hard and expensive to do in a backwards compatible manner. And we practically right now, Temporal is a kind of improved version of Cadence because it uh, does two things. It, uh, okay, most obvious one is gRPC, security and others, but also there are like hundreds and hundreds of small improvements which we made, which weren't possible if we stay with Cadence as it is. Maybe just on that topic, I was at Google before coming to scale and there were, you know, history, Google's got uh, commercialized and, and created a lot of open source projects, but also just even from the days of Hadoop, a lot of papers, at least, around distributed systems and implementations. But it seems like Uber is in many ways filling the position that Google once had in creating these open source projects and new ideas around running distributed systems. Cadence is one, but there are several other open source projects. And I I just find that interesting. And I'm excited by the role that Uber and others are playing in kind of incubating these new ideas. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, amazing what happened at Uber. And I don't think it was forced on people. It's not that uh, Uber had this policy, okay, you, now you have to write open source. I think what happened is that Uber at the time hired a bunch of very smart engineers because like, it was well before all the problems which it faced like publicly. So it was desired place to work. So it hired a lot of engineers and it had pretty uh, liberal policies around open source. Practically, all you need to do is go and get uh, legal approval about the project and then you would uh, be able to develop your project in the open. And I think uh, a lot of engineers just use that to implement uh, cool ideas. And one thing is I wouldn't even join Uber if I wasn't told that my project can be open sourced. And I think uh, a lot of other people wouldn't do that. So Uber having this kind of very open policy about building open source solutions and for hiring a lot of smart people and having very hard problems to solve was enough to actually kind of become this kernel of, uh, I think, a lot of new open source projects. That is kind of my view of that. So Maxime, some of our audience are would-be open source founders, and, and you already had some words for them around, you know, adoption may be slow at the beginning and you just kind of persist. I wonder if you have any more additional thoughts. Also, some of our listeners are folks who would like to contribute and use Temporal. So any, any thoughts for them as well? Open source is not a goal, right? Open source is means to achieve something. One of the reasons I think any company want to do open source is that you want to have longevity of your project. For example, I remember back at Amazon in 2002 and like uh, later, we had a lot of really cool projects at Amazon because Amazon was hitting large scale probably 10 years before most of the companies uh, did. And we didn't open source any of that. And what happened is that we built this technology. It's amazing. It's highly applicable to the whole world. The uh, team builds it and then moves on, right? Because nobody wants to kind of keep uh, doing the same thing. And then uh, like five years later, some open source technology IP is solving the same problem. You look at that open source technology and laugh because it's a joke. It's nothing serious there. It's not real implementation. I'm pretty sure that uh, Google guys uh, looking at the Hadoop had exactly the same impression comparing to the Google MapReduce, which is like 100x more scalable and everything. But then uh, what happens is this time, because there is all this open source community around companies, uh, like in a lot of iterations and users, uh, in five years, this open source technology becomes 10x of the internal technology. And then you practically duplicate this internal technology in favor of the open source one. 
I've seen it multiple times at Amazon. I think Google kind of had a similar problem with uh, external uh, Hadoop stack. And my view is that if you build any infrastructure level projects, if it's not open source these days, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't because company will kind of invest a lot of resources and at some point it will stop investing or it will not have enough resources to invest. And any open source project will with time actually beat it. So I think that is the main reason you want to do open source. And that's why I think uh, for us, uh, keeping the uh, like project and temporals if absolutely open source, we maintain MIT license. And I think there is no way we would be ever successful if uh, this open source project is not successful and not widely used. So anyone who starts the project, I don't know, again, it's not about open source. It's about uh, create something which is uh, useful and people want, and uh, they will come. And it can take a long time, but if it's really something which people want, they will use it and they'll find it. And it can take a long time, obviously. For us, again, it was like 10, 15 year journey to get there. But now I think we are getting to the point when more and more people learn about it and want to use it. In terms of contribution, we are absolutely open. The only problem is that it is pretty complex project. You can think it is like, I don't know, something like level of database or MapReduce stack. So there is a lot of complexity there. You cannot just come in and start writing. Like uh, You can do small things, but if you want to do some core changes to the core engine, even for our internal developers, which we hire, it takes a few months to get comfortable with the code base. And especially having experts like us uh, who built the whole system from scratch nearby. So yes, we absolutely welcome anyone, but just be ready that it will take a long time to actually become productive. We had a lot of contributions around integrations. For example, we have service and then we have SDKs. So we have awesome community members who actually wrote uh, integrations for uh, Python, for uh, C Sharp, for um, Ruby. And uh, these are amazing because our SDKs are pretty, pretty heavyweight. So it's a lot of effort to create one and still the external community contributed them, which I think is awesome. And uh, we expect more and more contributions in the future as community grows. I imagine your your most helpful and engaged contributors and community are those with large-scale distributed needs that are taking you on as a significant dependency. Actually, it's not. I would say a lot of uh, individual contributors are not uh, from big, even big companies. They just like the technology and they want to use it. And we are, again, you don't need to be big and large and have a large use case to use us. The cool thing about us is that you can start using us for a very small use case for low traffic, and it still provides a lot of value because it just simplifies how you write your code big time and design your system. But the cool thing is that you don't need to redesign anything or rewrite anything if traffic grows. If your site now gets like uh, one request uh, per minute, you can use us. But if it starts getting uh, like uh, 5,000 requests per second, you still can use us. And uh, you just uh, deploy the bigger cluster. So I don't think uh, we are applicable only for large scale. There are a lot of uh, companies using us for relatively low use case. Think about it. every data pipeline by definition is low scale, right? How many data pipelines would you have? Like, okay, maybe a few thousand, maybe 10,000 if you're a very large company. But this is for us, it's nothing because we can do thousands of workloads per second. If you wrote it to target business level workflows, and uh, they happen like hundreds and thousands of times per second. So we build platform for that. But again, it doesn't mean that you cannot use it for very low traffic use cases, like for cron jobs, like distributed cron jobs, for example. As we wrap up here, what's the future for Temporal in the coming days? Any big milestones we should be watching for? Anything you'd like from the community in terms of help? Our major milestone is that, as I said, we forked Cadence Project and there is Temporal.io project right now. 
And we haven't had a single production release yet. So we have alpha release out. We are code complete there. But we spend a lot of time and effort to do very deep uh, testing of that product because people run core businesses on on us. So practically uh, a lot of core workflows of a lot of businesses rely on that. So we cannot let them down. So we want to make sure that everything we release and say it's ready for production, it is ready for production. So right now we are focusing on stabilization and testing. And as soon as we we think it's ready, we will announce that. I think it will happen relatively soon. And then, yes, as soon as we have production uh, release, we expect uh, to most of the Cadence users to migrate to it. And then obviously we welcome the new users. And uh, obviously run our alpha bits as much as you can. So we want a more, t- more free testing <laughs> if possible. One thing which I didn't mention actually what actually our system is doing because we say workflow and I think it's very confusing because uh, workflow is actually means very different things and there are a lot of legacy systems which are doing workflows. Think about this way. Think about your code. Every time you write any application which requires fault tolerance, you need to account for possibility of process failing. Just process being killed anytime, right? Or machine crashing, data center going down. What it means is that you always uh, need to make sure that your state is always snapshotted and resisted. Practically, most uh, applications these days, they get a request, they load state from the database, they update the state, save back to database, then produce reply or push message to another queue. And what we did, we actually changed that. We practically said, write your code and we give you abstraction of durable memory. So full memory of your application is fault tolerant which means that like stacks, variables, uh, local variables, everything is preserved always. What it means that, for example, if you make a request and request takes five days, you are still blocked in the same line of code. And then it returns five days later because of retries or other reasons, you just unblock and go to the next line of code and all variables, everything is preserved. And we ensure that this process lives across all infrastructure level failures, restarts, deployments, uh, outages, and so on. So you practically eliminate huge class of problems developer has to deal with because memory is not fault tolerant and we provide this fault tolerant memory abstraction. So it applies to very wide class of problems. And as you see, we call it workflows because again, it applies to the same domain that a lot of workflow engines apply, but it's much wider. You can have object living forever, for example, and receiving events and processing them and keeping state in the local variables and then taking actions. So that is kind of high-level idea of the project. Maxime, thanks for joining us today. I've learned a ton, and I'm really excited about what you and Samara are doing. Congratulations to both of you for your success with Cadence and your new work on Temporal. We'll have to have you back to give us an update at some point. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.